Repeat, we're in a series this, this uh, Christmas season. It's called Believe. And uh, the premise of this series is that we are challenging you and um, helping you, hopefully, to grasp the concept again that uh, what we believe determines our pursuit in every area of life. And that it is vitally important for us, especially as followers of Jesus, to know what we believe and also know why we believe it. And, uh, you know, it's not enough to say, I believe in something. Your actions will actually tell everybody else and yourself what you believe. Um, I shared a quote last week from Robert Oxton Bolton. I want to share it again today. It says that uh, belief is not an idea that the mind possesses. It's an idea that possesses the mind. So what you believe actually, uh, actually determines where you go and what you do and how you approach your life. And so that's what this whole series is, is uh, predicated on, and um, we're in our third week of it, and then we're going we're gonna to culminate it next week with our Christmas service. We're going to be talking about Believe Again, and uh, really, really excited for next week for our Christmas service. I can't believe next week is already the last Sunday before Christmas. It, it just comes quicker and quicker every year, doesn't it? Um, but that being said, I, I do want to get into my message, and I know you just were standing, but you know I like to stand myself, so I'm going to ask you if you'd stand one more time. Just in honor of reading the Word of God, I'm going to give you my text verse for the morning. It's out of Hebrews 4 and verse 14. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Can I get an amen? Amen. The, uh, The title of my message today is Hold Tight. I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we go into the message of this service today. Father God, we love you today. We ask you to come and have your way in our remaining time that we have together this morning. God, would you just come, do your work in each one of our lives. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be fertile ground for your word to sow seed into our lives and that it would produce fruit in each and every one of us. I thank you that no one is here today by accident, that we are all here for such a time as this, and you have a plan for each one of us. I pray, God, that that my words would be your words today, and that you, Jesus, would get all the glory. You're the only one that deserves it. We ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Before you're seated, high five somebody and say, hold tight. You know, last week I, I talked to you a lot about doubt and how it can affect what we believe. And this week, I'd like to talk to you about what we do in response to that, which is basically the title of my message. We hold tight. When there's doubt in our life that comes into our life, it is imperative upon us to hold tight, hold on to what we believe, as the writer of Hebrews said in that verse. Uh, You know, a lot of you, most of you have probably been on uh, either a subway or a public bus or even the, the train transit system in Atlanta airport that takes you to your concourse. You know, when you get on that train, there's a voice that comes over the loudspeaker that says, hold on, or hold tightly, or grab onto something, because this train's about to depart. And, uh, you know, there's always that one person that's usually a young teenage guy that's standing there and is like, I don't need to hold on. He's going to try to get his base so that he can stand there without holding on, because he just doesn't want to hold on just because somebody told him he had to, right? Um, I'm sad to say, in a previous life, that was me. If you saw that happen at a train at Atlanta, it probably was me. It wasn't because I wanted to be disrespectful or disobedient. I just liked the challenge. And now I'm older and I realize those bars are there for a reason and I'm going to hold on to them. Um, 
Or you have that person that's just not paying attention and they're on their phone and next thing you know they go flying because they weren't paying attention. Um, you know, that voice that comes over the loudspeaker there is there to give you a warning that there's about to be an outside force that's going to bring resistance to what you're trying to do, so you need to hold on. And I, I just I like that analogy because it's exactly what that verse in Hebrews is telling us today, is that we have to hold on to what we believe. The Bible is full of verses, full of, of, of situations where it is telling us, it is warning us, saying, listen, you need to hold on tightly to what you believe. You have to hold on because there are outside forces that are trying to keep you from believing what you say you believe. And there will always be those outside forces. And the Bible's trying to help us and tell us that, 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 those, uh, that those forces that are coming against us don't have to derail us. He's given us that, that pole or he's given us that handle to hang on to to where we can stand firm in what we believe and hold on to our belief. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. You know, starting to believe is a very, very good thing. When we start to believe, if you say, I believe something, and you move in that direction, that's a good thing. But it's when we continue in that belief, it's a really great thing. Because we know that to continue in our belief, that there are going to be outside forces working against us. That there are going to be things that are going to try to come against us and keep us from doing that. The reason, the, the connotation there, the picture that that paints, the writer of Hebrews gave us to hold tight is, I always picture like hold on to a rope. Like if you're in a tug of war, you know, the, the, the worst thing you can do in a tug of war is hold loosely. Because as soon as that rope starts to go, you're going with it. You have to hold on tightly because there are things trying to keep you from what you say you believe and what you believe to be true. And so we have to hold on to those things. And you know, I I think that the Christmas season is an especially tough time sometimes for us to hold on to what we believe because, you know, we as followers of Jesus, we we know what we believe about Christmas. But, you know, there are outside forces. There's a secular society out there that would try to get us to think that Christmas is about something other than what it's really about. That it's about the gifts or Santa Claus or shopping or parties or spending time with family or pumpkin pie or turkey and all those things. And those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that's not what it's about for us, is it? Those are, those are things that can come along with it. But at the end of the day, we know that Christmas is really about celebrating what we believe to be the Son of God coming to earth in the form of a little baby and celebrating who he is, that, that we serve one God, that he set us free by coming to this earth, and while we were still sinners, he came and he died for us. And that all started with this Christmas celebration that we do about him coming to earth as a baby and growing up into a man that redeemed all of us back to him. That's what we believe about the Christmas season, right? But, but man, there is a whole other society, or there's a whole other force out there that's trying to get us to think that you know, Christmas is just about the Christmas spirit and joy and presents and all those other things, when in reality we know that it's about so, so much more than that. You know, when we think about Christmas, we think about the wise men. You know, the wise men, they, when Jesus was born, the wise men traveled a long distance to go see this Messiah because they believed. They believed that the Messiah had been born. And they, they traveled a long way to go see him. And they brought frankincense and gold and myrrh to, to present, to give as gifts at that moment, that's, that's the real reason we actually give gifts and celebrate with each other is because of what those wise men did at that time. And you know, as a little side note, um, historians have actually concluded lately that there was a fourth wise man that came with those guys, but he was turned away because he brought a fruitcake. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I couldn't help myself. Forgive me, please, for that cheesy joke. But you know, our, our text verse implies that there is going to be resistance and that we have to hold on tightly. You know, I, I, don't, I don't have to hold on to my jacket right now because it's actually self-supporting. It's, it's draped over me and enveloping me, you know? I mean, there's times that there might be resistance in this area here if I'm eating too much ice cream. But um, I can get this button just in case anybody's wondering. Uh, but I don't have to hold on to it because it's there, you know? But our, 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 what we believe is a little bit different. You know, we like to think that our, our faith and what we believe just envelops us and, and covers us. And, and in an aspect, in a, in a real way, it does. But when it comes to like whether or not we have to hold on to it, it's very important that we understand that we do. Because there are things trying to pull it away from us. And I want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of the things that I think are trying to pull it away from us. And I already mentioned society, but society is one of those things that will, it always has been and always will be in resistance to what you believe about God. It always has, and it always will be. And the, the, one of the reasons for that is because of the fact that secular society does not want to believe that they have to be accountable to a higher power. Because in reality, the flesh says that life is about self-gratification. It's about me being happy. It's about me being fulfilled in my life. And so society is never going to want to be accountable to that higher power because they have to admit then that, they, that life isn't all about themselves. And society is always going to be pulling at us in that respect, too. And I think sometimes we, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we struggle with that tension of like trying to be part of society, but also be a Christian, too, and, and follow the Word of God and follow what we know Jesus has called us to do. And there's that tension there. And that society is always trying to pull us away from our belief in God and who He is and what we know that He has spoken and what the truth is about our lives and who we are. Um, in fact, let me, let me share a verse in Romans 12. This is this is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. This is one of those warnings I talked about that the Bible gives us about holding on to our faith. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So he's talking about the pattern of this world and us not conforming to it. He says, but be transformed. Everyone say, be transformed. Be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. See, the world's pattern has been and always will be contrary to our belief. Okay, so this is nothing new to think that you know, society is just always trying to, you know, it's so secular and we're in this post-Christian culture. And it's true, we are, but it's, it's not new. Paul wrote this letter a long, long, long time ago. And the pattern of this world is always going to be to try to pull us away from that. And he's warning us here, he's saying, that he's saying to be transformed. He, what he's telling us here is that the battlefield between conformity and conviction is in the mind. The battle between conformity and conviction is in the mind. That's where it starts. This is where belief starts for each and every one of us. And he's warning us here that we have to live with conviction. And that that starts in the mind. It starts with what we believe. So society is always going to be pulling us away and trying to get us to abandon what we know, what we believe in our hearts about the truth of God. Satan is another one that will resist us. We know that. This is not news to any of us. You, know, you do know that you have an enemy of your soul. He is an enemy to you, and he wants nothing more than to destroy you. But he is always, always going to try to get you to resist what you believe. He's your enemy, and he's very, very crafty. You know, we like to think of Satan as being really dumb because he tried to overtake God in heaven. Well, that, I will give you that. That was pretty dumb. But he's still much smarter than, than any of us without the Holy Spirit living in us. 
We can't fight him without the Holy Spirit living in us. And he's smart and he's crafty and he never makes his, his attacks are almost never obvious. They're always coming in a way that we almost think that it's from us or that it's actually right or, or we're feeling this way and maybe sometimes we even think it's God doing it. And so if I take you back to the Garden of Eden, okay, in the very beginning of the book, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're living in paradise. They got everything going for them. Sin isn't even in the world yet, so they're living the high life. And God gave them one rule. And just like, like all humans, they couldn't even follow the one rule. He said, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, Satan knew that too. So here comes Satan, right? In fact, let me read the verse for you in Genesis 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? See how Satan does that? See how crafty he is? He didn't you know, come with horns and a big tail, a spike tail and a pitchfork saying, hey, I don't want you to listen to God. I want you to do what I want you to do. He did it in a very crafty way. And he shows one of his techniques here in this passage. One of the biggest ways the enemy comes against us is to get us to second guess. He questions the things of God in our life. He questions what you believe and causes you to ask yourself questions. Do I really believe this? You know, how many times have you heard a been to church and had a really wonderful time at church, whether it was here or at another church. You had a great service, you had worship, and you were excited, and people were nice, and you heard a really great message where you were, you were challenged, your spirit was lifted, and you were excited about living for God, and you know the preacher gave you a challenge to, to take with you, and you're like, yes, I'm going to do that. That's a word from the Lord. And by the time lunch was over, you're going, mm, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if anything's going to change. I, in fact, I don't even know if, it's, if that was even for me. You know, it's probably for somebody else. I think I'm good how I am. That happens to us all the time, all the time. Some, sometimes we don't even make it to the parking lot before we start second-guessing the Word of God in our life. That's the enemy. He's making you ask questions to say, well, is that, that's, the, that's his way of resisting what you believe. He's crafty, he's cunning, he knows how to attack us in a way that's very subtle, and he can even make it feel like it's our own thoughts and our own ideas. And then another way that we find resistance in our life is through our relationships. And this can be a tough one because, you know, our relationships, our, our family, our friends, our coworkers, whoever they are, you know, there's a lot of really good, well-meaning people in our life that, that, might not, that might actually be in resistance to what you believe. Maybe they're not on the same place in their journey of faith as you, and they don't understand why you're trying to do the things you're doing and responding to what you believe. Or maybe there's people in your life that aren't, aren't believers at all that are genuinely kind of trying to pull you away, or they make fun of you in your faith, or they... Uh, they just, you know, they mimic you or act like they don't, or they don't understand and, and kind of question even what you're doing. Those relationships can be toxic in our lives. There's nothing wrong with having a relationship with people that aren't on the same page as us. We definitely should be having those relationships, but we have to be very, very careful if those relationships are starting to affect what we believe and taking us to a place where that resistance is there and we're not, we're not holding on tight enough. We start feeling ourselves being pulled in the wrong direction. We've got to be careful of that because that is an area of resistance that will come into our life. So how do we fight that resistance? You know, we don't, it's easy if I say hold tight, if I got a rope here and I say, okay, grab onto this rope and hold tight and don't let go. You would say, yeah, I know how to do that. I'm going to grab on, I'm going to hold, I'm going to put some gloves on and even wrap it around my wrist a little bit and I'm going to hold on tight. That's, that's easy to know how to do that. But when it comes to holding on tight to your faith, that's a little different sometimes, isn't it? Like how does that look for me? And 
you know, last week I talked about uh, the doubts that can feed, I mean, I'm sorry, the traps that can feed our doubt. And I, we talked about disappointment with God. Um, we talked about, uh, I wrote them down here because I can forget too. It must have been a really great sermon. Um, I can't, if we can't feel him sometimes or if we're just not desperate for him. Those things can feed doubt in our mind and in our life. Well, today I want to talk to you about how we can feed the belief in our life, how we can actually grow what we believe, how we can make it flourish and grow in our life. So I want to give you three practices that feed belief in our life, okay? The first one, the first thing that can feed our belief is what we say. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. This is, this is all about our words, church, how, that our words are powerful and can actually feed your belief and your faith in your life, or they could tear it down. Well, I won't focus today on that our words would feed the belief in our life and not tear them down. You, I hope you know how powerful your words are. Your words are very, very powerful. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, your words are powerful. Yep. Now I need you to believe that because nothing is more true than the fact that our words are powerful. In fact, if you, if you don't really believe that, let me, let me share something with you here. If you're an adult in this room and you've been living for a while and you're, you can remember back 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I bet if you, had, if you gave yourself a minute, you can remember back to something that was said to you when you were a child or a teenager or even a young adult that had a powerful impact on your life, whether it was good or bad. Somebody had said something that tore you down and has affected your life, and you can think back to that and, think, and, and bring it back up immediately, and you can be in that situation in your life at the snap of a finger. Or it was something really good, as somebody spoke some life into you and some truth and encouraged you, and you can remember that. We remember the words that were spoken to us that were powerful, right? We have so much power in our words. I can remember stuff that, I've shared it before, I won't share it, the whole thing today, but I can remember stuff that my bus driver said to me when I was in elementary school. That's how powerful words can be. She tore me down about something and embarrassed me in front of the whole bus. I can remember it. I mean, I, can, I know what I was wearing that day, and I don't remember what I wore yesterday. <laughs> That's how powerful our words are. Look what it says in Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life in the power of the tongue. It doesn't get much more powerful than that. And our words have the ability to feed our faith, or feed our doubt. And our tongue has the power to literally change the direction of our life. It can literally direct our life in a specific path, a specific direction. I, I, you don't have to take my word for it. I'll show you in, in the book of James, in chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. Look what he says. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So a boat's journey, a boat could start at the South Pole and by one turn of the rudder could either go to North America or to Europe. Like that big of a difference, just from a turn of a rudder. And James is saying here that that's how powerful your tongue is. Your tongue can speak life to you, and it can, it can help give the right direction, or it can take you completely off course and get you to somewhere else. Now, I know for most of us, these verses aren't anything new. This isn't some hidden verse that you've never read before and thought, wow, that's really great. I didn't know the Bible talked about the tongue. 
But I also know that we have to be reminded sometimes of how powerful our words are, don't we? Because we can get in a rut where we just kind of slowly erode and allow the things that we say to get kind of more and more negative, especially if, if you can tend to be a little negative in situations that aren't going your way. And so for some of you, you need to hear this this morning, that you need to put a guard on your mouth and start speaking life into that situation that's not going the way you want it to go. Some of us just need a reboot, you know? We don't need to tear everything down and start all over. We just need to reboot, hit the refresh button and say, okay, that's right. I'm going to watch my words today, and I'm going to watch my words tomorrow and next week and the week after that, and I'm going to speak life into that situation. Because here's the deal. Jesus tells us very famously in Matthew 12 that out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So Jesus is saying our heart is revealed by the things we say. So if we're speaking negatively into a situation that we're frustrated about, it's actually revealing our heart. And he says in that same passage, he says that you will have to give an account for every careless word you speak. <sighs> That's one of those I want to cross out of my Bible, you know. He also says in that same passage that your words will either acquit you or they will condemn you. I'm praying for an acquittal for me. I want my words to acquit me, not condemn me. I want my words to line up with what the Word of God says. I want to speak truth into that situation. Now, as much as our words actually do reveal our heart, our words can also change our heart. Okay? Your words, you can speak life into a situation even if you don't feel it. You don't necessarily have to believe it. It doesn't have to, doesn't have to come from a place of just bubbling over with this incredible faith at that moment. We can speak truth into it because we know the Word of God. Because we can speak the word of God. You don't have to believe it to say it. You're not a hypocrite if you speak truth into a situation that you don't necessarily believe in that moment. Okay? You need to be free from that. There are some of us would say, well, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite if you're speaking truth into a situation just because you don't feel it in your heart at the moment. Because here's the crazy thing that will happen. We speak enough truth into a situation, all of a sudden you start to believe it. All of a sudden your spirit, man, gets emboldened and gets empowered and think, yeah, you know what? This could actually be okay, you know? You know, you got financial situation in, in, that you're dealing with. You start speaking life into that financial situation. God is my provider. God will provide for me. I believe that God's going to help me get through this situation. I believe that he has not left me or forsaken me and that he's going to take care of me. You know, you got a relationship issue you need God to step into. God, I believe that you're going to restore my marriage. I believe that you're going to heal this relationship I have with this family member or this friend that's been severed and, and broken. I believe you're going to move in that situation. We can speak life into that based on the fact that we know the character of God. We can totally do that. You know, Christmas time, this is a season where for some people it's the happiest time of year, and for some people it's the hardest. And I'm sure for some of you in this room, it's, it might be the hardest time of year for you. But you know what? You can speak life into it. You can speak life. You could say, you know what? I, I don't feel joy this time of year, Christmas season. But you know what? I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to speak joy into this. I'm going to, I'm going to quote the word that the joy of the Lord is my strength, that I, that I am a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror through him who gives me strength. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. We can speak that out. Man, I tell you what, I, I quote scripture all the time driving down the road because there's nothing better than having your, your own ears and your spirit hear scripture because it breathes life into you. So we have to use our words to speak life and not death. And if there's a situation that's tough, 
It's okay. Now, listen, I'm not a name it and claim it. You know, you just name it, you claim it, and you just you do it no matter what. But I do believe that we can inject life into a situation by speaking truth over it. Amen? Don't speak death into your situation. Speak life. Our words have a lot and lots of power. You know, we should be thankful as, as followers of Jesus. If you're in this place today and you call yourself a Christian, we always have something to be thankful for. At the, very, at the end of the day, we can be thankful for the fact that we know that our time here is but a vapor. And we're going to be with him. And once we're with him, there will be no more tears. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more struggles. There'll be no more you know, struggling through the Christmas season. It's going, to be, it's going to be a big party for eternity with Jesus. Amen? And we can rejoice in that no matter what. Let's be thankful for who we are in him. And you know, our words actually affect those that are in our life as well. Did you know we have responsibility to use our words to speak life into other people's situations too? To build them up? You know, God has all, he's called us to build ourselves up and to speak life into our situation, but he's also put people in your life that need to hear you speak life into their situation. Ephesians 4.29, I learned this verse a long, long time ago, and I've been quoting it since I was a teenager. It's, in, it's Ephesians 4.29. Look what it says. He says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So this is about other people, that it may benefit those who listen. Now listen, for somebody like me that grew up up north where the sixth love language is sarcasm, this can be tough. You know, if you're nice to somebody, if, you, if you're talking like encouraging to your friends up there, they look at you like you're being weird, you know? We, we like to use sarcasm. It's a huge form of humor up there. Some of you may have lived up there or know plenty of people from up there and just, just, just a way of life. So I've had to really, really focus on this verse and, and purpose in my own heart to be building people up. You know, you don't mean anything by it when people are sarcastic. It's just, it's just a way of just being folksy with each other, but... It's important that we use our words to build others up. God has called us to do that. I, I remember when I was, I think I was 19, and I, was, I just really gave my heart to the Lord seriously. Um, I, I got saved for probably the 20th time, but this was the first time it really meant something. <laughs> and, um, but I was still kind of discouraged. I just didn't know what to do with my life. And uh, we had an associate pastor at my home church, and he was a wonderful man of God. And, and I would meet with him sometimes, just talk about my faith and and um, one time I was with him, and, and I was kind of discouraged about my life and just didn't know, you know, I, got, I just became unsettled because everything was kind of changing for me. And, and um, he just looked at me and he said, he said, Ray, what do you want to do with your life? And uh, I just remember saying something to the effect of like, you know, I don't know, I'm probably just going to get married and, and uh, you know, live here and eke out a living and do my thing, you know. And he could tell I had no passion behind it when I said it. And, and uh, he got tears in his eyes and he put his finger in my face and he said, don't you ever settle for less than God's best for you. Don't you ever do it. He said, you're not just going to eke out a living. He said, you have a pastor's heart. I see it, and God's going to use you. And uh, I fell on the floor laughing because it didn't resonate with me at all at that moment because I was, man, I was a young punk. But you know what started happening was over the days, weeks, and months following, I started to believe it. It resonated in my heart. It stayed there. I couldn't get it out. You know? And if it was something that, was, that didn't mean anything, it would have just been you know, gone in and out, and I wouldn't have given it another thought. The last thing I wanted to do at that time was be a pastor. 
But it started resonating, and I started to believe it, and it started to, it started to actually direct my life because I started making decisions that would, that would enhance that. And I was being drawn to places that would enhance that. And about two, two and a half weeks, three weeks ago, I had the incredible privilege of going back to my home church in Ohio and preach. They, uh, they're having their 75th anniversary, and they were bringing people. They, they brought me back. They wanted to bring somebody that had grown up in the church and had left, but it was in ministry. So they brought me back. First time I ever got to preach in my home church. And uh, it was definitely one of the highlights of my year, maybe ever. I was so excited to be able to, to preach to that church because there were so many people in that church that were there when I was there and saw me as a young punk. And it was really great to be able to come back and preach the word to them. But the best part about it was that man that was my associate pastor, he's retired now, he's in his 80s, but he, he came that day, he sat all the way in the back because he was sick and didn't even know if he could come, but he sat in the back. And I was able to tell him from that stage what his words in my life meant almost 30 years ago. And it was amazing, amazing stuff, yeah. And I was able to honor that man in front of about 650 people. And it just, I mean, even now, it kind of gets me choked up because that was somebody that spoke truth into my life. And if he hadn't done it, I mean, God can use anybody, and God could have brought somebody else along to do it too, but I'm so thankful that he was obedient to the Lord in that moment because I know that he was right. Looking back now, I think, man, how did I not see it? But we are called to speak truth into people's lives and to uplift them and help them. And you know, Christmas is the, is the best time of year to be able to speak life into the people that we know. Okay? Most or all of us know people in our life that don't know Jesus and aren't connected to a, a fellowship, a body of believers, right? And statistically, it's, it's very, very clear that those people that will typically not go to church throughout the year will go to church in December, especially a Christmas service. Because just the, the, the Christmas spirit, they don't even know why. It's, they couldn't, probably couldn't even tell you, but it's just that there's a draw to come to church during that time of year. So I want to challenge you guys today because, you know, for a lot of us, we'd say, man, I don't even know how to really speak life into those situations. I don't know how to talk about my faith, and it makes me nervous, and whatever it may be. But I'm telling you, people will come to church if we invite them, especially next week. So I want to challenge you. Will you take the challenge to invite somebody in your life that you know is not connected to a church to invite them to come here next week. We're going to have a wonderful service next week. It's going to be, it's going to be a great Christmas service. We're, uh, we're going to have a lot of music. Kel and Jess have their climax video. It's going to really blow everybody away. And I'm telling you, for you guys, you don't want to miss it. But it'll be fun to bring somebody that doesn't know the Lord either because they'll get a good laugh out of it. And we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to share the gospel. They're, I promise you, if you bring them to this church, they're going to hear about the love of God and they're going to be challenged to believe that, that God is their God and loves them and to give their life to him. In fact, next week, the theme is going to be dare to believe. We're going to challenge them, and we're going, to, we're going to show them the love of God. So please take that challenge, invite somebody. In fact, we're going to have cards to give you as you leave today. If you want to use that card to hand to somebody and say, hey, come to my church. It's going to be really great. We've got these really cool lights hanging from the ceiling. I mean, whatever you got to do to get them here, right? But let's take that challenge. Will you guys do that? All right. Five of you will. Will the rest of you do it? Okay, good, good. All right. All right, the second one, and I promise these last two don't take near as long as the first one. The second thing that can feed our faith and feed our belief is it depends on how we wait. By waiting, did you, you know that while we wait for God to do something that we're waiting for him to do, every, probably all of us have something in our life we're waiting for God to show up, waiting for him to come into an area that we, that we need him. Did you know that you can actually, your faith, your belief 
in God can actually grow while you wait. It can grow. It doesn't have to stay even, and it doesn't have to drop off. It can actually grow if we wait well. You know, none of us like waiting. I don't know anybody that's just like, yeah, I'll write a line. I get to wait in a line. I'm excited about that, you know? In fact, I read about a guy that figured out a way to, he figured out how to wait for an hour for 15 minutes. That's a joke. Nobody can do that. He did it 15 minutes flat. He waited for a whole hour. How, how cool would that be if you could do that? But uh, we, we don't like to wait. But you know what? If you're actually serving Jesus, if you're living the Christian life for him, you'll probably always be waiting for God for something. Always. The Bible is pretty clear. It talks a lot about us having to wait. You know, we, it talks about persevering. And perseverance has to finish its work so that we would be complete, not lacking anything. That's God saying, basically, listen, you're going to have to wait because I'm doing some work in you. He's always making us wait because his ways are higher than ours and we don't always understand it but we can trust him while we wait and our faith our belief can actually grow during that time look at what the great prophet isaiah said one of the best verses in all the bible especially when you're talking about waiting in isaiah 40 and verse 31 it says those who wait on the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint he's saying here that if we wait well, if we wait patiently, that our strength will be renewed. We can actually grow in that time of waiting. But now this wait, this word wait here is an active waiting. It's not a waiting with our arms crossed, just you know, waiting for God to do something. It's, a, it's an aggressive, active waiting. It's a waiting where we're not being passive and sitting back just twiddling our thumbs, but we're actually being expectant. It's an expectant waiting. So this isn't the kind of waiting that we do when we're behind somebody going 35 mile an hour on Bel Air Road, right? This is the kind of waiting we do where we're, we're trusting God and we're standing in faith and we're speaking life into that situation. And when you're really impatient and you're not wanting to wait, then you can go back to the, the words thing and speak life into it and say, you know what, I'm going to wait patiently for him because I can trust him. And I may not feel it in that moment, but I'm going to speak life into that situation. There's another great prophet, Jeremiah. He wrote the book of Lamentations. And look what he said in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 25. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The Lord is good to us, church, when we wait for him. He is good to us. He is worth waiting for because he is that good. We don't, as, as, as followers of Jesus, we don't wait for nothing. We're waiting for something. And we can trust that his ways, that us having to wait, that he has a reason for it, he has a purpose for it, and we can still believe for him to meet us in that place. And if you're waiting for something today and you're having to trust God and you're struggling with it, I want to just encourage you today to wait patiently for him and let your belief in him grow during this time. It can be fed during this time. Romans 8, 24 and 25. This is, this is Apostle Paul talking about hope. He says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We wait patiently. If we're hoping, if our faith and our trust and our belief is in God, we can wait patiently because we, can, we know that we can trust him. Sometimes we can get weary in waiting, can't we? Well, Paul even encourages us in our weariness when we're waiting. In Galatians uh, 6, verse 9, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if, if we do not give up. This is about waiting. It's about waiting for God. He's saying, don't stop doing good. 
Because in season, now in due season, you know, you and me, we both hope that's this afternoon. But a lot of times that isn't this afternoon. A lot of times this, that is a little further in the future than we would like sometime. But we can continue doing good because we will reap what we sow. I know I talk a lot about sowing and reaping, but I believe in it wholeheartedly. I believe in it. I believe God's a good God and that when he does help us to sow or reap what we sow in his name. Amen? Amen. All right. I'd like to spend some more time on that, but I've got to move along because I'm almost out of time. The third one is where we look. Where we look can feed our belief. This is just another way of saying where we focus. Where is your focus today? Are you focusing on what you need to focus on to grow that belief? I mean, it seems really simple. If I want to grow in my faith and in what I believe, I should fix my focus on the one who can do that, right? But so oftentimes we give so much of our time and energy and our focus on so many other things, and then we wonder why our belief, our faith, isn't necessarily growing like we'd like it to grow. You know, if I want to focus on eating healthy, I'm going to eat the mixed nuts, not the donuts, right? <laughs> Even though the donuts taste so much better, especially if they're warm, Krispy Kreme glazed donuts. Yeah, I'm preaching now. But you know, they taste good in your mouth, but no one's going to accuse you of being healthy if they see you double fisting those things, you know? If you want to be healthy, you've got to focus on things that are healthy. Well, if you want to grow in your belief, I think we should focus on the one that's the author of our belief, the one that authors our faith. He's the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Our focus should be on him. Look what the psalmist said, Psalms 121, verses 1 to 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen and amen. How many times do we not lift our eyes to him, but to something else? We're all guilty of it. And this isn't a beat down session to tell you to stop doing that, because we all are going to do those things in our life at times. But man, we just need to constantly be refocusing and saying, I'm going to focus on you, Lord. I'm not going to focus on these other things over here. I'm not going to focus on all my problems. I'm not going to focus on uh, my own carnal solutions. I'm going to lift my eyes to the hills to look at my God. And I'm going, to, I'm going to focus my energy and my affection on you. He is the one who will really help us, right? And I know for us, it's scary sometimes to put all of our eggs in one basket. You know, we're taught in every aspect of life, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, if you invest, you know, diversify your portfolio. Don't put everything in one stock. Because if that stock tanks, you're in trouble, right? We want to diversify. But let me tell you, when it comes to uh, growing our faith, we don't need to diversify. We got one God. We got one book that, that really shows us who he is and teaches us about him. And that's where all of our eggs should be if we want to grow that belief. Put all your eggs in that basket, and you can trust God because he is that good. And I just want to challenge you guys today to to dare to believe. Again, we're going to be talking about that more next week, but man, I, I love that because it is a scary thing sometimes to believe. It really is. I mean, I, I talked last week about Thomas. You know, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I can touch his hands and his side. And Jesus gave him that wonderful gift and said, go ahead, Thomas, do it. And Thomas believed because of it. And Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Because it is hard. It can be hard at times to really dare to believe to the level where it's a real sacrifice to live our life for Jesus and to trust him. But church, he is so, so worth it. He's so worth it. 
He will never let us down. He will never leave us, never forsake us, never turn his back on us. He's always there with us, and he wants us to hold on to him, to hold on tight. You know, we like to think of our faith sometimes as being this thing that, that you know, God just wraps us around, and he's got us in his arms, and he won't let us go. Well, there is an aspect where that is real, that he doesn't let go of us, but there is, there is also an aspect of our faith that we are responsible to hold on to, because there are forces that are trying to pull that faith away. And we can't be naive to that. We have to understand it because if we understand it, we can know how to fight it and win and live victoriously and growing constantly in what we believe about our God. Would you stand with me, please, as we finish today? I've got two minutes, and I'm going to probably need about three, so stick with me for just one extra minute. I want to read one more verse for you today. It's in Hebrews 10, 23. I don't think they have it on the screen, but... It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold unswervingly. We're being encouraged again, over and over and over again. If you read your Bible, you'll see where we are being exhorted to do the, to do the work of holding on. God's there. He's not, he's not elusive. He's not running from us, so we've got to try to find him and catch him. But there's, there's a carnal part to us that's always wanting to, that's pushing that faith away. And that belief away, in a sense, that we have to hold on to it and say, no, 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 no. And, you know, unswervingly means to go straight. It means don't go to the left, don't go to the right. Hold, go straight towards what we know to be true. And we're in a society where there's always things pulling at us to try to get us off that path. And sometimes we may stumble and get off that path, but let's get right back on that path immediately and, and go unswervingly towards him. Amen? I'm going I'm to pray with us. Um, I'm actually going to ask the prayer leaders to come up after I pray. That way, if, if any of you need prayer after service, there'll be somebody up here to pray for you. If you have any needs, we, we'd love to pray for you. If it's a physical need, a financial need, a relationship need, just whatever it is, we'll, we'll pray with you after service. But I want to pray for all of us while we're in here. And you know, there's something about responding to God in a situation like that. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but I just like, I, it, it means something in our heart when we respond and say, yes, God, this is what I want. And, and just as a, as a way of response, I'm just going to ask you if you're comfortable to just lift your hands to receive this prayer as I pray. If you're not comfortable, it's okay. But if you are, I want, I want you to just receive this and say, yes, Lord. Let's be in agreement as we pray today. Let us pray. Father God, we, this, we do love you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for truth that is spoken into our life through your word, God. We thank you today, God, that you are the one that we hold on to. You are the one. You are the author. You are the perfecter. You are the finisher of our faith. And God, we focus on you today. Would you help us to put our energy and our focus on you in our life? We want to grow our faith. We want our belief in you to grow, God. This isn't just some fun series to just do something neat. It's something to, that will change our lives if we will embrace it, God. So I pray you would help us to do that, that you would give us everything we need to live our life in a way where our faith will grow. God, I pray you'd help us to put a rain on our tongue, that our words would speak life into our situation and into the situation of those that you've brought into our life. God, that we would not speak death anymore, that we would not complain, but that we would speak life, that we would speak your word, that we would trust you, God, that we would say it even if we don't believe it, because we know eventually we will believe it. God, and I ask today that you would help us to wait for you patiently that our faith in you, our trust in you would grow as we wait. Lord, we're all waiting for something for you, looking for you to come through. God, I pray that you would help us supernaturally 
to trust you in a greater way, that we'd be able to wait patiently, that you would renew our strength, that we would rise up with wings as eagles as we wait on you, Lord God. We trust you, Lord. We're not waiting for nothing. We're waiting for you. And God, I pray you'd help us to look to you, that we would lift our eyes to the hills and we would see that our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth and from nowhere else. You are our helper. You are the one that holds us in the palm of your hand. You are the one that will never leave us. You are the one that will never forsake us. You are the one that has drawn us to you and called us your own. You're the one that came to redeem us back to you by coming to this earth as a little baby. And we love you for that today, God. We love you and we thank you. Lord, would you seal this work in our heart today that you're doing in our lives, Lord, that we wouldn't second guess by the time we get in the parking lot or to lunch or tomorrow or next week, but that this would be this work, this would do the work that it was set out to do in each one of our lives. And God, we give you all the glory. All the glory, Jesus. All the glory, Jesus. You are worthy of it, Lord. We worship you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being so, so good to us. You are a good, good Father. That's who you are. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just pray you receive that today, church. Receive it into your heart and into your spirit. Allow the Lord to do his work in your life. As you, as you leave this place today, I just let's just give him praise this morning. Let's worship him. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.